Hello, this is Green Seas, the podcast from Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the shipping and ocean industries. I'm Craig Eason, Tradewinds Technology Editor, and your host for this episode. And this week, we've got two stories for you. We'll dive into the updated proposal that has come out of the International Chamber of Shipping for a fee-based measure, which it says will help decarbonise shipping by helping ship owners with the extra costs of low-carbon fuels. Essentially, ship owners will pay money uh, into a fund if they're burning fossil fuels, and uh, they will have the ability to take money out of a fund if they're burning zero-carbon fuels, or a proportion of it is, and that will help bridge the gap between the price of the fossil fuels and what we anticipate the price of the new fuels are going to be, which three, four times as much as the, the fossil fuels they replace. And we'll also look into how fuel reduction will not be the only part of a life cycle picture of a vessel as owners are beginning to search for more data across a vessel's whole life cycle picture from construction to recycling. We did a life cycle assessment of one ship and one class is that uh, we wanted to do an educated decision and, and really understand the effects of life extension. If you wanted to extend the life or will we do the um, recycling of a vessel? What would be the kind of climate effects uh, if we did uh, an earlier recycling or if we did uh, uh, and when we did a new one? episode is brought to you with the support of Bureau Veritas. At Bureau Veritas, each and every one of us is by your side to help you navigate your decarbonisation journey and shape a better maritime world. Later this year, the IMO member states will once again gather in London for more talks about the policy measures that they say are needed to decarbonise shipping. These talks will focus on so-called mid-term measures, and in particular the adoption of a financial measure, a market-based measure where a price is effectively put on carbon dioxide which is emitted from ships, or rather carbon dioxide or other greenhouse gases. The International Chamber of Shipping has been in thick of these discussions, having first submitted a proposal in 2020 for a $5 billion research and development fund, which it has had to evolve and develop as discussions progressed. So this latest proposal is somewhat different, being a fee-bate proposal, very much leaning on a proposal that Japan has also submitted to the IMO. And there are other proposals that have been submitted for discussion. Here's what ICS Secretary-General Guy Platten told me when I spoke to him for the Green Seas podcast at a press briefing to discuss this latest proposal. We believe it's a simple approach, um, which is then easy to administer. Um, So essentially, ship owners will pay money uh, into a fund if they're burning fossil fuels, and uh, they will have the ability to take money out of a fund if they're burning zero carbon fuels, or a proportion of it is, and that will help bridge the gap between the price of the fossil fuels and what we anticipate the price of the new fuels are going to be, which three, four times as much as the the fossil fuels they replace. So that's the simplistic, it it sounds a simple approach, but actually there's been a huge amount of work being put in to actually making this all work and actually go together. We're confident that the regulations can be uh, provided to make this happen. We've even provided uh, draft text 
and how that can happen. So we're, you know, and this is industry coming forward, pragmatic, listening to people, taking other ideas as well and seeing what we can do to make something work. So, um, you know, we obviously, we would love member states to say, yeah, we'll go for this because we do think this is a workable, pragmatic solution which can be easy to administer and easy to police as well. So I think that, that, that fine of it. In terms of how much money goes into the fund, that's going to be a political decision. It's always going to be a political decision, you know, and we don't see it's our place to say what that money should be because that's going to be discussion with member states. We want to focus on the architecture of what we're putting forward because if you can agree the architecture, then it's a matter of agreeing the fund. If we go, if we try to do one before the other, I think it, 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 it's it, it's going to have less chance of success. One of the things about this proposal is that you're starting off with a sort of example figure. I know you've just said that there's no pricing in terms of the fund, but there's a sort of figure there around the $40 mark um, in terms of the contribu- contribution. That's $40 uh, per tonne. This is a proposal that looks at the mid-term measure. So this is relating to the 2030 goals. It's not the 2050 goals, it's the 2030 goals, mm-hmm. isn't it? So this is a is a way to, I would almost suggest that this is a way to get the industry used to the mid-term measures, used to the idea of having a some sort of model and then being able to adapt it going forward to meet that net zero goal of 2050. Uh, absolutely. I mean... Of course, we've, we've agreed the goal of net zero by or around 2050, I think, is the, the terminology used. But you're going to have to have these intermediate goals to meet in order to, to, to as waypoints along the way to that. And that's why this midterm measure we propose is, is a way of doing that. It's a way of kick-starting this whole thing properly, really driving the demand side for the, the zero carbon fuels, incentivising the early movers, which will then allow us then at, in 2030 to look again, saying... Does it, how does it need to be adapted now to meet the next thing in 2040 and, and, and beyond? Guy Platten, Secretary General of the International Chamber of Shipping, talking to me in London about the Chamber's updated fund and reward proposal for a market-based measure as the IMO begins to discuss its mid-term measures. The proposal is in a paper being submitted to the IMO by ICS and it's supported by Liberia and Bahamas. Very soon, everyone will want to know everyone else's carbon emissions. They will because there are regulations forcing it to happen and there are the technologies to make sure that we can measure, compare and share emissions data. I'm talking in a more business-to-business perspective, of course, and shipping is in the thick of this. And while most ship owners are worrying about their fuel-related emissions and how they will have to record, report and eventually pay for those, There is a growing sea swell behind this, including a regulatory drive. What this is, is a growing awareness that one company's emissions can also be another company's, that the life cycle picture of a ship, a cargo, a piece of equipment on a ship are indelibly linked. And there are regulations that are going to tie these together even more so. If you are in shipping and listening to this, then you will know that a vessel's voyage emissions created by the fuel consumption need to be recorded and paid for, albeit not heavily at the moment. You know also that cargo owners are getting interested in the emissions linked to the ocean leg of their cargo supply chain. So what about the emissions data for the steel being used on the ship and the equipment being made to put on the ship? So, in this last part of the podcast, I've been talking to three experts who are... I think, slightly ahead of the curve and an awareness when it comes to these issues. 
How hard is it going to be to get the whole life cycle emissions picture of a vessel? Not just the fuel, but everything. And who benefits? One shipping company has tried to do this with one of its vessels. It's Oddfjell in Norway. It operates a fleet of chemical tankers and is one of those that have been pushing forwards to understand the real picture of a vessel's life cycle from construction to recycling, from cradle to grave. Here's Oddfjell's sustainability officer, Oystein Jensen, on its work to determining a vessel's scope 1, scope 2 and scope 3 emissions. What was, uh, what was uh, the background for, for <clears throat> the project that we just uh, did, where we did a life cycle assessment of, of one ship and one class, is that uh, we wanted to do an educated decision and, and really understand the effects of life extension. If you wanted to extend the life, or will we do the um, recycling of a vessel? What would be the kind of climate effects uh, if we did uh, an earlier recycling or if we did uh, uh, and when we did a new one? And um, that, that was the initial question. And uh, that led us to, to have an understanding of what's the kind of total footprint of the vessel. What's the footprint of actually building a vessel and what's the footprint of actually recycling a vessel? And also, of course, the operational costs. So I think that, that is, that's, what, that's what led to it. And, and it's also a good thing for us to understand that and, and where can we have an impact because when we are building vessels, that will be, it has to be an element when, uh, when we are building a vessel that we understand how much CO2 and what, are, what kind of the scope three of actually building and what's the scope three of main maintenance in addition to the scope one of operations and then the scope three on the downstream recycling activities again. And I think it's just important for us to understand this. And that's where we started. So we did some life cycle analysis uh, of a, a ship and, and a ship class, and it gave us gave us a lot of insights to to where are the kind of the the, the major footprints and what's the kind of the big uh, parts of the value chain where we have we have the big uh, emissions. And I wouldn't say surprisingly, but but I think that the, the one of the key findings is that the operational emissions are so high compared to the uh, emissions related to scope three in the total value chain of the vessel. That, I'm not saying that that, that is uh, it less important, but uh, the 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 scope one of operating a vessel for 20 to 30 years, um, where the scope one emissions are are significantly the, the the biggest emitter. A lot of our customers, not everyone, but a lot of our customers is asking for those data now uh, because we are being a big scope one emitter. We're also their big scope three emitters. So that means that a lot of our stakeholders, <coughs> they need uh, they need our scope one data, which will be their scope three data, and and not only uh, our customers, but other stakeholders like banks, etc. Because uh, our banks and investors, because our scope one is also a part of their investment portfolio uh, and and adds to their scope three. So what we did is that. We uh, we trying to to break down, uh, for example, for uh, for a voyage we, uh, with with a lot of products. We're trying to break that down to give the exact footprint of a product that has been transported from A to B or C with a different kind of product. So each customer will get a report. We, uh, they will get the scope three report now. Uh, we have spent a lot of time developing that, uh, but uh, we are now able to do that. So that, that now that is done automatically. So each time you transport something with Oldfield, you will get a, a, a scope three receipt and saying that uh, um, this is this is the amount of CO two that uh, 
this journey has, has represented. <clears throat> and of course, some of these data are we using also for the emission trading system, because uh, uh, we are also allocating the same kind of, um, with, with some differences, of course, since ETS is also <clears throat> only within the EU, uh, but the ability to collect uh, and distribute data on scope three um, uh, has been a lot of work that we have done and has been appreciated by, by a lot of the customers. And I think that that is also something going forward because we see that it's a growing attention, and especially with the upcoming regulations in the EU where you have to disclose um, scope three, that means that this will matter. Because and, and we believe that that is also an opportunity because we believe that Oddfjell represents, being a very efficient fleet, that we represent a lower scope three than the alternative. And then it could be a, a kind of a competitive advantage. So, so we think of this as an, an opportunity for us as well. Now, one vessel which has been helping Oddfjell and Oyston Jensen in determining a vessel or even a fleet lifecycle emissions understanding is Copenhagen-based Reflow. This is a small company which has developed its own software system and a platform to allow companies to work out their emissions and to then share them across the emissions chain. So to take one example, the construction of a cargo pump or a lifeboat with a certain amount of emissions attached to it, this data, this information, can then get shared with a company like Oddfjell who can use it in their calculations. So the scope 1 emissions for the pump maker are the scope 3 emissions for Oddfjell, just as the fuel emissions from Oddfjell vessels are the scope 3 emissions for the cargo owner. Here's Rasmus Esborg Jensen, CEO of Reflow. So the vision and the idea with Reflow is uh, to allow maritime stakeholders especially to become data-driven in their decision-making, but also make it easier for the maritime stakeholders to uh, get a more granular understanding of their emissions, um, their footprint for the company, but also their vessels when we look at the ship owner. Um, today, emissions are um, can be very um, are not granular in that way that you do it for compliance. Typically, you look at your emissions for the fuel and you look at all your procurement emissions. And the latest um, um, addition to the reflow platform is to make it easier to um, get a better understanding, of especially what's called scope three emissions. So all the emissions that are related to your supply chain. And then you might ask, why is that uh, interesting and why is that something we're especially focusing on right now? Well, there is new development in the European Union with the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Um, and here in Norway, you have something called Transparency Act. Um, and in the US, you, you're going to get a similar, uh, they're working on it right now, you're going to get a similar requirement for companies to report on the material matters in their company. Now, material matters can be a lot of things, but what we see is the vessels have a lot of embedded emissions in their, um, in their hull, in their entire life cycle. So for ship owners just to report on fuel, like you normally are required by AMO to report and you to report on your direct emissions from fuel, it makes a lot of sense. But as we go in and look at these new directives, um, the embedded emissions, scope three emissions, will be required to report on because this is a central part of the emissions and the vessel itself. So making that easier, uh, we have rolled out a new um, feature on the Reflow platform, we call it Climate Hub, which allows ship owners, OEMs, shipyards uh, in the maritime uh, segment, also outside, to um, make the calculations of their vessel, of their product, and then um, 
based on those LCA-based lifecycle assessment-based calculations, you can uh, populate the data for your corporate emissions. That means we have, we have uh, made a connection between the product emissions and the corporate emissions. Rasmus Ellsborg Jensen there, CEO of Reflow, the emissions data company. Now, Oddfield's Oysen Jensen noted, of course, that the largest emissions from a vessel are its operational emissions, with the fuel consumption being by far the largest. But as shipping switches fuels, as low-carbon fuels are taken up, this will begin to change. Here's Rasmus from Reflow again. I think you can view it from two sides, Craig. I think what we're going to see is that the owners of the cargo will require some kind of emission reporting that they are going to include because their cargo is is part of the... their emissions of their cargo is part of their supply chain. So when you move cargo around, you will need to attach the emissions for that voyage to that cargo so they can make their reporting and report to their uh, sellers or buyers of, of their goods. So that's one, that's the commercial side of it. And, and, and another interesting uh, thing that we're seeing right now is we're getting a lot of attention on new dual fuel builds like methanol, ammonia, because once you start adding this green fuel, you're no longer looking at just the fuel emissions because they're going to be very low since it's an e-methanol or e-ammonia. So the next thing is going to be the scope three. It's the supply chain of the fuel, as we're talking about with the IMO, LCA uh, guidelines that they're working on, which is really important, but also everything else. And what we can see uh, from from all the work we have done the last couple of years also on dual fuel is that um, about 30-35% of the total emissions of the vessel in its life cycle is going to be scope three related to the construction, maintenance, and the end of life. So that's a substantial part, and that's much more than the 3-4% we are seeing with traditional fossil fuel. So this is calling for a more detailed understanding of our emissions. Um, and the way we are seeing it is it's, it's going to be mandatory at one point. The question is, is it going to be tomorrow? I don't think so. I think the fuel is going to be something we need to have clarity on, especially the new fuels, because the supply chain on the fuels can be... Um, it's not a standardized procedure. So you can actually end up emitting a lot in the, uh, in the production of the fuel. So, so that makes good sense. And then the next will be the vessels. So the total emissions life cycle will become more and more important. And of course, we have the regulations such as the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive that Rasmus mentioned earlier, which will mean more and more companies will be seeking the data that they need to be transparent and compliant. Let's turn back to this cradle-to-grave concept, how industries can take this total picture of a vessel from its conception to its recycling. Last month, a Norwegian company, Grieg, invested in Reflow, and they've been heavily involved in understanding and evolving a position in sustainability, and in particular, the life cycle picture and recycling. Grieg's division is called Grieg Green which originally looked at ensuring the Greek vessels were recycled properly, but has now become a supplier of total life cycle services. Its boss is Pia Melling. Amongst the work that they do is things like site verification and data verification, something that Pia says that means Reflow's work sits very much alongside it. But in reality, how easy will it be for a total life cycle picture of a very complex ship with equipment from hundreds, even thousands of suppliers on board, and with the ship even changing hands as it's probably sold many times in its 15, 20, 30-year lifespan. Here's Pia. 
There's quite few ship owners that own the ship uh, through the whole life. So normally uh, a ship owner would sell the ship and there would be various ship owners through the lifetime of the ship. And that also leads to less optimal decision making for uh, end of life planning, of course. So I think if you can actually uh, measure the whole life cycle of the ship and have that data-driven decision-making, you can optimize a lot, not only on the design or the retrofit or the life extension period, but also, of course, end of life. And you can potentially uh, prove that uh, the steel that goes into remelting or reuse using uh, uh, renewable energy is um, something you can deduct on your emissions if you look at it in a total life cycle perspective which puts more emphasis uh, on the recycling phase which we believe uh, is deserving more attention so putting into this context it actually it can be a some some kind of commercial advantage to have a strategy for the recycling phase and to trace what's happening to the steel. And we're also very interested to connect with the green steel industry who are marketing their steel as recycled and green. And then you need to trace where it's coming from and that it's actually that the vessels are dismantled uh, in a environmentally friendly but also socially acceptable way. So this is something that we've always been interested in exploring and together with Reflow we will have that data and that connection so that we can actually start measuring what, what is the advantages of doing the recycling in various places in the world and in, in, on various methods and what happens to all the steel and all the other materials. For Grig it's also... As you know, we are investing in green fuels. Um, at the moment, it's green ammonia. It could be other fuels as well. And we are building vessels ourselves. We are des designing uh, and, uh, and deciding on what fuels to use. And as a decision tool for Grig as a ship owner and as an investor in the new fuels, it's also very useful to look at the emissions and the environmental impact in a life cycle perspective. And personally, I am worried that we do this burden shifting, that we're so concerned about cutting the emissions during the voyage that we are blind for just moving emissions to another area, which is not going to fix the problem. So it's going to make us look good. But if it doesn't fix the global warming issues that we're facing, uh, it will not help us. So I know that most ship owners are worried about uh, CII uh, and uh, ETS and just dealing with the today emissions of the ships. But I'm pretty sure this will shift and that you can make much better decisions if you consider the whole uh, lifetime. That's Pia Melling, Managing Director at Grieg Green. And before her, you heard Rasmus Ellsborg Jensen, the founder of the lifecycle data platform Reflow, and Oyston Jensen, Chief Sustainability Officer Norwegian ship owner Oddfjell. That's it for this week's episode of the Green Seas. Remember to go to tradewindsnews.com where you can find more on these stories and of course lots more stories on sustainability, environment and maritime shipping technology. Remember also to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Green Seas can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and many others. So until the next time, it's goodbye from me, Craig Eason, and we're now off to research and work on next week's episode.